Welcome to the Well-Informed Teacher Podcast, brought to you by CORE at New Mexico State University, where we'll discuss and uncover creative ways to enhance the pre-K through 12 educational experience for all students and to strengthen instructional practices through the development of trust, collaboration, and capacity building with teachers, leadership, and community members. Now here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Well-Informed Teacher Podcast, brought to you by CORE at New Mexico State University. I am your host, Jody Lenari. I'm a reading and math specialist at CORE. October is International Dyslexia Awareness Month, so it's a great time for our next installment on our series on dyslexia. So far, we have had interviews with a student, parent, and special education teacher who spoke about their experiences with dyslexia. We will now transition to dyslexia in the general education classroom. This is part of the journey where I am most familiar. I was a general education teacher for 15 years with a master's degree in language and literacy and an endorsement in language arts. I was a professional development facilitator for my district in explicit phonics instruction. My area of expertise has always been literacy. But through researching for this podcast, I have learned so much about reading and working with students with reading difficulties. For this episode, I decided to speak with one of my former colleagues, Alexis Grudelay. In our former district, we were highly trained and taught structured literacy for many years, which has proven to be the most effective method in teaching reading to students with dyslexia. Alexis's classroom was a pilot for an explicit phonics approach that was later implemented district-wide. Alexis and I were part of an amazing kindergarten team, along with two additional teachers that saw results in reading at the top of our district amongst 10 elementary schools. Alexis has been teaching for seven years in grades kindergarten and sixth grade in both public schools and public charter schools. She has tutored and taught students with dyslexia over that time. Alexis and I also share one more thing in common. We both have nieces who are also former students who have been diagnosed with dyslexia. Please join us as we talk about teaching and working with students with dyslexia. What are problems that uh, you see that dyslexia can cause for students in a general education setting? So problems that I see that dyslexia can cause for students in, in a regular general education setting is like, the basics, what you would expect, difficulty reading, um, reading aloud, reading fluency. Um, reading and writing can be like really labor intensive for them and take a really long time. Of course, problem spelling, any activities that involve reading. Um, it can take uh, students with dyslexia a lot longer to complete tasks. Um, but not only is, does it, involve, it, does it um, impact their reading and writing skills, it's going, to, it's going to affect almost every other part of their education, including math, when they get to do math word problems or science or social studies. So not only are there, you know, implications for reading and writing and language, there's implications for every subject. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of what uh, I talked to Shonda about when we did the special education episode. We talked a lot about how it affects every aspect of their mm-hmm. educational experience, that it's not just going to be reading, it's going to be everything. And that's something that um, Graceland said in that first episode, too. She said she has a hard time with math because it turns into a lot of 
word problems and then, mm-hmm. you know, dyscalculia and dysgraphia come into play too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that we didn't, we don't have, um, diagnostic tools available for, for those things either. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of just adds to more issues. Well, and as, as a uh, elementary teachers, we always, we always say this and I, I think it's becoming, I mean, probably kind of cliche at this point, cause I say it so often or just kind of tired at this point, but we always say from K through third, they're learning to read. And then from third on they're reading to learn. And that's in, entirely true. Mm-hmm. So if there's, if there's something that's missed between K and three, which dyslexia usually is missed all those years because we're unsure if it's developmental still. Yeah. And that's where the problem lies is, is identifying it early enough. Um, because like you said, with, with your niece, with my niece, they, we don't identify these problems early enough. These gaps are growing and growing and growing year after year. So by the time they, they get to third grade and maybe they're diagnosed with dyslexia at that point, well, gosh, they've already lost all of this time. And now where they're starting to read, to learn things, these kiddos have to catch up and continue learning to read while everyone else is on a completely different path and trajectory. Yes. It's, it's difficult. Well, and then that kind of goes into some of the other um, things that maybe um, we don't think about when we think about struggles that uh, dis- children with dyslexia would have. Like, of course, it's going to affect their comprehension because oh, yeah. concentrating so hard on being able to, you know, decode those words mm-hmm. and not being able to really think about what they're reading or what the topic is, especially I think when they get to those upper elementary and, and middle school and beyond grades, because, and, and that's really where I think some of the assistive technology and um, those different interventions can come in. Um, if, if you're looking at something like comprehension, but other things that I've noticed uh, with working with students with dyslexia is um, their fine motor skills tend to be a bit delayed too. Um, mm-hmm. Handwriting goes along with that. Processing speed, I think, too, even though they're they're smart kids, I mean, they have average, above average IQs, but Mm -hmm. it just takes them a little bit longer to process, especially multi-step directions. That's what I've right. Yeah. I noticed, I've noticed that with my with my niece. She's gotten so much better, but I mean, she struggled for a long time. She's she is still in speech. She's in sixth grade now, still in speech. So she's always had speech issues. Mm-hmm. And I noticed too, and I don't know if there was a correlation, but when her speech improved, her reading began to improve. Um, or if it was vice versa, when her reading improved, her speech improved. I don't know. She's had speech since so she was in kindergarten or well, in pre-K. Mm-hmm. But th- those two to go hand in hand. And yeah, she, she's an OT. She's mm-hmm. also an OT. So yeah, her handwriting and I was a kindergarten teacher, so I can't really say too much. <laughs> that was my first year teaching <laughs> disclaimer, but yeah. um, I didn't know a whole lot about handwriting, but I don't know that it would have really helped because that is something I do see is that uh, those fine motor skills are um, a little bit delayed. Mm-hmm. Definitely speech is delayed. And, um, but I mean, now that I see such progress in my niece, and her confidence builds. It's she's a whole, she's a whole different girl when it comes to school. 
Mm-hmm. Like she's enjoying it. She likes to be there. But when she was struggling and nobody knew what was going on and she wasn't getting the help she needed, she wasn't making progress in a way that was um, measure, like I know it was measurable, but it wasn't, it wasn't significant, at least in her mind. So um, she, she just didn't want to be there. Yeah. And, and that's something that we see with, with kids with dyslexia is not only are, are they struggling with the actual learning disability, they are struggling with social problems mm-hmm. like um, low self-esteem. Like that is probably one of the, the, the biggest problems that they struggle with socially. They, uh, they can have anxiety over what they are, what they're trying to, to, to read and learn and um, eventually can lead to behavior problems because of all of that. So um, it's, it's unfortunate. So I hope that there's a way that we can help kids with dyslexia and identify it early so that they don't get to the point of having that low self-esteem, behavior problems, anxiety or aggression or withdrawal from, from people and, and activities. That's that's a really good point because I think that it ends up like in the younger grades, I think that it's um, overwhelming. Like there's just mm-hmm. so much that they're having to do and it's so hard when early on, especially before they're identified that, um, it gets to be overwhelming and then Mm -hmm. they start to lose confidence in themselves. And then by the time they get to those middle and upper elementary grades, it's a self-esteem thing. Like I'm not like everybody else. I'm not getting this. This Mm -hmm. is hard for me. Um, kind of thing. And that's, that's what I've seen, um, with the students that I've had that have had dyslexia it's like by the time they're in fourth or fifth grade it's like I am not good at school I don't Mm want to be here Um, I don't want to do this and so being able to I think get that early intervention or get them to where they feel good about what they're doing and and even if if reading continues to be a struggle that we are giving them self-confidence and other Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because all it's going to do is lead to shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we could look back at some of the graduation rates and things like that, that, that we've had in the state. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if there was some way, you know, in hindsight to look back and say, okay, look at, let's look at these graduation rates. Let's look at like, if we could, if we would have known how many kids had dyslexia at the time, mm-hmm. I, there would be a huge correlation because oh, yeah. Um, it would, it, it's, it just is, I'm sure that this was something we didn't know, we didn't know was affecting our students and leading to low self-esteem shut down, just giving up. Mm-hmm. And so those dropout rates and those, those graduation rates were going to drop because of, because of things like this. So, and I, I mean, like you said, we do have to find, even if we don't, even if we can't, even if we're struggling to bring up their, their reading and writing skills. Um, we have to find those ways to to help their confidence too, because my like, I know with my niece, I know with a sixth grade student that I have now who struggles with dyslexia, their math skills are amazing, mm-hmm. like absolutely amazing. So when we can identify those things that they are good at and celebrate those and help them get confident with those things, I think that it, it can be 
a, a definite, um, like a, like a really big encouragement for those, for those students. And so that kind of leads into, into my next question from our side as educators, what important groundwork um, do we need to do when we know that we're going to be working with a student with dyslexia, or we discover that we have a student that has a print disability that, that we're working with? What, what can we do? So I think probably one of the most important things that you can do um, to prepare for teaching a student that has a print disability or dyslexia um, is to work with their, with their parents and their previous teachers to like, establish an understanding of where that student is academically and what the student can handle. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be prepared to offer adequate support and accommodations and understand, and well, another, uh, additionally, a major part of that is you have to understand it. You have to understand that the student is not, cannot learn the same way that a student without dyslexia can learn. So if you don't understand, if you don't understand the, the learning disability, then you're, are you going to be able to make the accommodations that the student needs or um, have the patience that the student needs? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said patience because that was a big, um, a big thing that I have really noticed is um, and even talking, you know, talking to Gracelyn, I, in our first episode, I asked, you know, what do your teachers do when you don't, um, when you don't know a word or you're struggling? And she says, well, they give me time, which is exactly, mm -hmm. I think, but a lot of times I don't think, I think that the classroom, a general ed classroom, especially post COVID is just so fast paced that it's, mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we, you know, we got to move on and, and you don't have necessarily have that time to dedicate mm -hmm. um, to, to giving that student all that they need. So that's something that I think we need to really keep um, at the top of our, in the forefront of our minds is just being patient. That's, that's mm -hmm. huge. Um, I think so too. And then what, I you, what you said about the background too, you know, getting to know the student, what, what's working for them? What, mm -hmm. what is that individual? Cause Dyslexia, it's so interesting because it's such a diverse um, disability. It looks mm -hmm. so different in different kids. So what works for one may not work for another. So what works for those individual kids getting to know your students? Mm -hmm. And like uh, as, as a kindergarten teacher, something that I, I realized was incredibly important was creating relationships with parents mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a team effort it's a it's it's teamwork here so it not only is it is it the teacher the general education teacher you're working with general education teachers you're working with um your special education teachers you're working with parents you're working with ot's you're working with speech therapists you're working with everybody that is involved in the success of this child so i mean it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, research that goes into how you can help one student but it's, it's worth it. It's, it's what this student needs. And it's what we have to do to help that, to help that child be successful. Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge as well. I'm glad that you brought that up too, because uh, I feel like, and I don't know if this has been your experience too, but that parents are often um, frustrated because they haven't been able to get 
appropriate accommodations for their child. And, and it's usually been a long road. Um, Absolutely. So working, you know, working with them and letting them know, hey, we're, we're going to have a plan here, you know, I think goes such a long way. I, uh, I noticed some of that this year. And and as you know, I teach um, sixth grade this year at language arts and social studies, but I teach online for New Mexico Connections Academy. So it's a very different, it's a very different uh, environment. But one of my students in sixth grade has dyslexia, who he's seen a dyslexia specialist for. Um, he's, I mean, he, he has a, he has a lot of struggles. And, but he's one of my gifted students as well. <laughs> so, I mean, that just goes to show you, but um, his, that these students can really, I mean, they have really wonderful, you know, capabilities. It's just the this, this struggle that they have with dyslexia that can, that can, you know, just not, not halt them, but put a, like, it just slows them down. Yeah. Roadblock. Roadblock. Exactly. Yeah. And his mom had sent me a message and she's like, gosh, he's really struggling with taking notes. Like, I don't know what I can do. Like, do you have any suggestions? And I said, yes, here's what I, here's what he should try. Get his phone and have him take voice notes. You can label them however you want and he can record himself. I said, or even if he, if he would enjoy this, maybe he can make videos and they can be like his history YouTube channel. And so when he takes his notes, what he's really doing is like, he's giving information as if he's explaining it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So um, she was so grateful, so grateful that I like offered alternatives for, for him to, to take his notes and ways that I felt would be more effective for him. And she, I, I told her, you know, like he can rewatch them and watch himself. He can edit his videos that he makes in a way. In, in, and that's a study. That's, a, that's him studying, you mm-hmm. know, he's hearing it over again. He's watching himself say it. Like it's, there's, there's so many other ways for students to, to do the same things that, that students without dyslexia are doing, but that are more effective for them. Nobody learns or studies in exactly the same way and what works for one person doesn't work for another person even when we even for people without dyslexia the way that you take notes may not be the way that I take notes and there are differences between everybody so for these students if you don't write your notes down it's not it's not a detriment it's it's your way of learning it's yes and that's just I mean what we have to do and we have to understand I think we also have to open our minds to, to that because we're so, um, we're so, I guess, like just everything's ingrained in us in a way that um, it's just, it's almost tradition. Like this is just how we do it. Yeah. So once we can open our minds up, there are plenty of ways to, to do, to accomplish the same task, then I think those students will have more success. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because you're kind of going into into my next question about accommodations as well as talking about um, different strategies that that we can use as educators to um, help our students with dyslexia as far as techniques go and and different learning models. But um, so you already gave an example of 
um, accommodations like the note taking. Mm -hmm. What other accommodations can we make to support students with dyslexia? Well, and when I think of of students with dyslexia and and the accommodations that we can make for them, like the first one, and we've already talked about it, the one that comes to to mind immediately is wait time. That Mm -hmm. is probably on my top list of of accommodations for students with any type of of learning disability is wait time. Um, Patience, just allowing the student to have that time to, to think and to process. Um, extended work time also is, is, is another way we can accommodate students um, because how, how can we put a time limit on students for certain, mm-hmm. for certain things that, need to, that they need to do when they struggle with just decoding words or, you know, how, how are we going to say you have the same amount of time as this student who doesn't struggle with decoding words to do this, you know? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be, that, that wouldn't be, what's, what is the word I'm thinking of? That wouldn't be equity. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be equity. So we have to get, we, we can give that extern, extended work time, sometimes alternative assignments if, if necessary, but simplified directions for, for work um, is, is also helpful. Um, highlighting essential information even like well with even at the lower grade levels um like kindergarten I used to use some, uh, like these little rulers that had like a line of like cellophane yellow cellophane mm-hmm. that would that would highlight just you know, like one word or just uh, one sentence at a time because that is another accommodation that we have to do for students is to block out distractions and sometimes just within a text surrounding words can be a distraction so if we highlight if we highlight that um you know word or that sentence we can help that student to focus on what they're what they're trying what they're really working on and because everything i mean anything can be a distraction the pictures on a page um like i said the surrounding words you know just students quietly reading to themselves and my my dyslexia student looks over and can see that the student is reading fluently and quickly and is answering their questions fast. That's a distraction to that student who's struggling. So if we provide them with a quiet place that they don't have to they don't have to have those distractions, that I think that would be a, a huge accommodation that we probably don't usually ever even think of. Yeah. So. No, you you covered most of what I was even thinking of. Um, I did my last episode on assistive technology. And so there's mm-hmm. that whole realm of tools, um, audio texts and all of that stuff. But I think giving them time, like you said, time, the gift of time mm-hmm. is, is the best accommodation is, is the number one accommodation, I think for them. Um, and then letting them maybe have the material ahead of time, previewing and reviewing. Yes. Yes, um, definitely. I think that that's very helpful as well. Um, what do you think we need to keep in our minds or be cautious about um, when we're working with students with dyslexia? I think when we were talking um, about those accommodations, one of the things that we really need to keep in mind is that there are differences in students with dyslexia and without dyslexia. So we have to understand that like I said before, what 
one student can do in 15 minutes may take a student with dyslexia 45 to an hour. Mm-hmm. And there, there are differences in their, in their learning. There are differences in their processing. So we have to be understanding of that. Um, I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that we have to keep in mind. It's very easy to get into a routine or a mindset of you all should be able to do this in this amount of time. And there's no reason it should take any longer than this. But um, for some kids, it does take a little bit longer. And we have to understand that it, it, it's okay to give them that time. And I know I, I, I get what you're saying when you say, well, after we came back from COVID, everybody is like, go, go, go. We have so many gaps to fill. We have to, we have to keep moving. We can't slow down. And I think um, everybody is in the mindset, especially right now, that we, we don't have time to slow down, but we have to make that time. Yes. Um, another uh, thing that, uh, I know another, something that we also have to be cautious about when we're working with students with dyslexia is what we talked about before, low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can, I mean, it can very easily, a, a student with dyslexia can very easily get to the point of, of giving up of just, I'm no good at this, I, I can't, I, I give up. And so uh, we have to be really understanding of those students and careful and compassionate um, and make sure that we are in tune with that student's um, self-esteem, anxiety, and anything that might make them unwilling to, to continue on with, with the education they're trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's a hundred percent there. I'm reading a book right now called overcoming dyslexia by uh, Dr. Sally Shaywitz. She's a mm-hmm. physician scientist who works at Yale and is pretty much the premier um, researcher right now on dyslexia. And she said one teacher can make all the difference mm-hmm. with students with dyslexia. So that one teacher that takes the time. Mm-hmm gives the encouragement, takes the time to not only um, get to know the student, but get to know their history and and their families and pretty much what we talked about. I mean, it's so important that we that we slow down. Like, why are we working? <laughs> why, why are we trying to run? A, it, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon is something else. Right. And so w- working with students with dyslexia it is not a sprint but a marathon exactly why are we trying to go so fast you know um that that's something that I just keep thinking about is I'm not understanding why we feel like what what are we measuring our students against you know what what is this goal what is this timeline that we're that we're setting for them right yeah yeah um so other things, and I've mentioned this, in, and I mentioned this in prior podcast episodes, but I also mentioned it a little bit earlier that I, I, I want to emphasize that students with dyslexia have normal to above average IQs. Um, they are not, this is a language disability. Mm-hmm. They have gifts in many other places, um, academics wise, like you said, in math often, Mm -hmm. Uh, but 
in in different ways of thinking too. They have to think outside the box. I actually um, have a colleague who is um, a district level administrator in another state, and he has dyslexia as a forty year old adult. And he said, and I never thought of, I ne- I have never thought about this, but he said that when there's an emergency, if something bad is happening. Look for the people that have dyslexia because they're usually the calm, cool, and collected ones <laughs> because that's life, right? Mm-hmm. For them, they're used to things being out of sorts. Mm-hmm. So they actually thrive in situations where other people would panic. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was sense. interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. It, yeah. it, but it does make perfect sense. I mean, they have, I mean, They've learned, and, and that's 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 crazy for me to think that he's probably was never identified as dyslexia with dyslexia until he was an adult. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine how many how many kids how many children went through life that way, thinking that they were just inadequate or 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 dumb, you know, and thinking that that they that they were not what everybody else was or as good as everybody else. And um, just now, it's it's something that's that's coming to light and starting to really everybody's well. We're trying to make everybody aware that this is a a language. This is a language disability. What specific instructional methods, techniques, programs um, do you think, or have you seen most benefit students with dyslexia? Uh, I am a big believer in explicit phonics instruction <laughs> as a kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, pre- former kindergarten teacher that I taught kinder for six years. And I mean, when I, when we realized that phonics instruction was coming back to, you know, um, elementary education, it was, it was just something that was like, why did this ever go away? Mm-hmm. And fortunately, um, ex- explicit phonics instruction is one of those things that is um, beneficial for students that have that have dyslexia and students that don't have dyslexia. So separate instruction methods or techniques might not have been necessary because at, at that age we can teach them all the same way because it's effective for both both groups of, of students and. Um, it, it uses it uses many different um, ways to to help them to understand um, that speech that sound to um, what am I thinking the uh, that one to one letter sound relationships yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes I mean we're we're using like multi sensory approaches um, sight sound touch movement sometimes when learning sounds and words and syllables and um I really think that it's it maybe a student that has dyslexia um would benefit from more of it um especially by the time they're identified with dyslexia um but providing it at that pre-k kinder first grade level is really going to help the student's who are not identified with dyslexia yet to have a, at least a decent foundation for them to start with. So um, for me, <laughs> explicit phonics instruction is probably um, 
my number one, mm-hmm. <laughs> my number one uh, strategy or technique? So that goes along with um, exactly what I was hoping to talk about and, and a little bit of what I've read again um, in the Overcoming Dyslexia book, um, explicit, intensive, frequent, and sustained mm-hmm. is what really works for students with dyslexia. In the early grades, just like you said, it, it's good for every, every student. And mm-hmm. they're in those early elementary grades, but it has been scientifically proven that that is the most effective strategy for teaching students with dyslexia. And I, and I want to point out that there's a difference between scientific evidence and research-based because a lot of programs say, oh, we're research-based. Well, they're researched. Mm-hmm. Like, gotta be careful with that. Yeah. Um, they're researched in from who? <laughs> When you say scientific evidence, um, like Dr. Shaywitz does, it's all done in very controlled, scientifically ethical um, at Yale University, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So scientific evidence that the program is effective, I think, is a big thing that we need to look at. And I Mm -hmm. actually discovered, I did not know this, but the the United States Department of Education has... um, an organization called What Works Clearinghouse. And you can look it up online and it actually lists programs that meet their standards for effectiveness in, in phonics and phonemic awareness um, instruction. So that was that was pretty neat to me because a lot of times in, in the work I do with CORE, um, you know, I'm working with teachers around the state and they're all doing different programs. And mm-hmm. so it was really neat to look and go, okay, I feel better about that. I feel better about the fact that this district is using something that was on this list. Right. Um, and I think that um, another thing is going back to time and giving them opportunities to practice reading, giving them as many opportunities to practice reading, writing, listening, even talking mm-hmm. about what they read. I think is super important. Absolutely. Um, so just, I kind of wanted to touch just a minute on um, some of the programs and we're not endorsing anything, mm-hmm. but um, some of the programs that were listed on, on the What Works Clearinghouse. So for phonemic awareness and phonics, Lexia and Head Sprout were actually on there, which makes me feel good because mm-hmm. I was using Head Sprout when I was teaching. <laughs> Uh, kindergarten. So then decodables, which we know decodables are a huge part. Oh, yeah. Of that intensive phonics instruction. Bob books was on there. Oh, and wow, I know, Bob books. Bob, I, Bob books. I know. <laughs> I was so excited because a lot of I don't even I can't even tell you how many parents are like, well, we're practicing with Bob books at home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Bob books are That's great. Are approved on the <laughs> decodables. Um, Geodes, I'd never heard of that one. Um, Spire. And I have heard of Spire. Some of my districts are using Spire. So um, that made me feel good too, that we're working, you know, on on something that's been proven to to be um, effective. Mm -hmm. And then Scholastic Decodable Books are also on there. Of course. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then of course, we can't talk about structured literacy without talking about Orton Gillingham. Right. So, <laughs> Orton Gillingham is not, if you don't know this, but I'm sure most of our listeners know this, it is not a program, it's an approach. Mm-hmm. And um, most 
of the structured literacy programs that were on this list are utilizing the Orton-Gillingham approach, which is great. So a couple of those are the Wilson reading system. I'm not super familiar with that one. Me either. Nope. Foundations, which again, no foundations. Yep. I know a couple of the districts I'm working with are using foundations. So again, felt better about that. (laughs) Um, Spell read, read 180. And I am familiar with read 180. Mm -hmm. Um, The Linda Mood phoneme sequence or lips program. I have never heard of that. I have never heard of that either, but it's a little bit different. So it concentrates more on oral motor characteristics. So kind of getting into that speech. Yeah, that's speech therapy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And then computer-based programs, Read Naturally and Read, Write, and Type, which I believe I talked about Read, Write, and Type with the assistive technology, but there are computer-based, sorry, computer-based programs that that will work as well. Well, like Headsprout too. So so I, I really wish that I had that list you know, when we, when we were, when, when we were teaching kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. Well, all uh, 15 years <laughs> that I spent in early grades, because, you know, just like you said, like, why were we not teaching phonics? I feel so bad. I ha- there are 23 year old college graduates out there that I was their first grade teacher. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I hope I did not do a disservice. Well, and like, so my kid, my, like I was telling you, my niece was in my very first year of teaching when I taught kindergarten she was in my class that very first year and uh, she has dyslexia unfortunately it just so happens that she was one of those kids that has dyslexia and had a brand new kindergarten teacher and this was the year before we started back on with phonics instruction explicit phonics instruction so she never got that and of all the people that I well of all the students that I've taught like she she was one of the ones that needed it the most mm-hmm. so luckily it continued on like once it got going she she got it in first second third grade you know so there was that but I mean I know that the students that I had that next year and every following year after that and even up until my last year teaching kindergarten last year those kids had the best possible explicit phonics instruction I could have ever provided because I knew so much by then you know, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 it's frustrating. I wish I would have known it's, it's, you can't, you can't go back. And what we didn't know at the time, we didn't know at the time. So, yep. uh, but yeah, I do think about that a lot. And I'm like, gosh, it's not like she has dyslexia because of me or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't feel too bad, but it's like, I could have helped her more had I known. Yes. At that time. Even if we didn't know she had, well, even though we didn't know she yes. had dyslexia at the time. So, yeah, it would have been just that extra leg up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, going back to um, explicit phonics, I kind of want to just make sure before we leave our um, techniques and methods that we talk about what, you know, a, a explicit phonics lesson, what would it look like? What are the elements? Because I did not know this. We we did something very specific in the district that um, Alexis and I worked in. Mm-hmm. But looking at other programs, um, working with other schools around the state, they're all pretty similar. 
they're all very the same steps. They may not call right. it thing, but it's all it all it's all encompassing of the same thing. It, it, yeah, it's all there. Um, so, I mean, it it does. It has all the same. I've looked. I've looked at other um, other phonics lessons, and I'm like, okay, well, we did that. We just called it this. We did that. Mm-hmm. We just called it this. So, I mean, it, it's. It, obviously, if there's other programs that are using the same, um, the same, you know, processes and their same, you know, um, basic instruction, then we're, we're on the right track, I think. Mm. So, <laughs> um, I think that, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's something that, you know, we, we do kind of have it figured out. Um, even if we call it. Different. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned this earlier is uh one-to-one letter sound relationships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that basic foundation of understanding, um, that letters have sounds and, mm-hmm. and understanding that, um, vowel sounds. I, and it, it's funny because I'm looking at this and it's like the progression of of what exactly what we were doing exactly what I see other programs doing it went from letters to I mean consonants to vowels to um letter patterns right complex letter patterns spelling rules um and then spelling encoding decoding in Mm -hmm. phonics instruction well Um, I even remember we start when we would start even with our introducing consonants there was a specific order we went in for consonants that was um, developmental. Yes. We started with M, remember? I, <laughs> I remember that because it, M was one of those um, letters that is a, one of the first one of the first sounds that, that a child, even as a baby, is able to make. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I mean, there's, there is a lot of research and science that has gone into Sponics instruction and it's funny because I remember seeing when um on the TV when I was a kid um what was what was it called maybe? I know I know what you're hooked, hooked on, on phonics, phonics. <laughs> hooked on phonics and I'm like how, we knew about this then like, yeah. where did it go for so long why did it go for so long yeah and then as they as they progress and I know we t- we touch a little bit on syllabication in, at the end of kindergarten but um, that's, that's a big part, syllabication, knowing where mm-hmm. to divide those words. And then when they get in the older grades, the word deviation. So understanding prefixes and suffixes and Latin mm-hmm. roots, I, I, which has been great because a lot of my, um, special education teachers that I work with have been really focusing on, um, root words with their kids that are struggling with reading. And I love that they're pulling structured literacy for fifth and sixth grade kids. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's, um, we just did that too. And I, um, constantly like helping my students, even in, in sixth grade, like, well, you know, that root word, right? We, we talked about that root word and just to kind of help them see, you know, that they're, they're all around. <laughs> and yeah. if you know, if you know it in one word, you'll know it in, a, you can know it in another word. Mm-hmm. So use those common um, patterns to help yes. you. Yes. And that's what it is. It's patterns, which, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense. Um, I think for students with dyslexia, because they, I think, look for patterns. They do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, 
I, I guess that, that, that kind of clicked for me just now that <laughs> patterns are, are a big deal, you know, um, for students with dyslexia. So looking for those patterns as, as they're progressing, um, is huge. So, um, and we talked a little bit about this, I guess, from mostly the teacher pers- perspective, but how can peers support their classmates with de- dyslexia and how can we foster an inclusive classroom community? Well, so I think it goes back to what we need to do to accommodate those students. And we talked a lot about wait time. So we will, we know that wait time can be an awkward time. So how can we help to make that not feel that way, not only for the student that we're waiting on, but for the students who are also, who, the other students who are also waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to, from day one, foster an environment that is understanding, that is patient as well. So what's the best way for a teacher to teach any type of social behavior? Modeling. And if we start from day one with our students that need extra wait time, whether they be a a student with dyslexia or not, students are always going to need wait time. Well, if we model the behavior that we would like our students to show, um, then that's what they'll do. So um, we, we're gonna we're gonna wait on our students, and if there's any if there's any bit of you know that awkward feeling, we can say, no problem, we're gonna wait. Don't worry, don't worry, and we're just gonna call, we're just gonna ease the situation, and we're just gonna model the best behavior that we can, so that students who are also waiting will learn to be calm and respectful and polite during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that's that's a huge I think that that's a huge deal is just just the same as we do in you know beginning of the year that time we spend at the beginning of the year to um get those routines and procedures um going and expectations right. you start there and you really make it so that it's just part of the natural routine, right? There's right, no, exactly the ordinary, right? Exactly. Um, and so, and that was something that really struck me when I did the first episode um, talking to the student that had dyslexia, because she said, you know, the, the teacher would make an accommodation by reading a math problem to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kids would say, well, you didn't really do that. The, the teacher told you. And she said, no, the teacher, she even knew that she, the reading part wasn't what she was being assessed on, right? Right. It was the math part. So how do we get kids to understand that everyone in our classroom gets what they need? It may not all look the same, but, Mm -hmm. but they're getting what they need. And this can go for any sort of exceptionality, right? Um, right. Or, or, or anything. I mean, yeah. the, the idea, well, and I think that's, that's something that needs to happen at, you know, the very base mm-hmm. district level. Like we have to, we really have to emphasize equity versus over equality. Yes. We, we just have to do that. And it sometimes can be very difficult for young children to understand that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it also, I mean, uh, as, as difficult it is as it is to, and we can't control it, it happens yeah. at home too. Mm-hmm. So we need that in the home as well. 
we need parents teaching their their children you know it doesn't always have to be fair but it's whatever but what we give each what we what we what they need that mm-hmm. is fair yeah giving every person or every even in, in a family situation every child every sibling what they need to be successful that is fair yeah equal isn't necessarily fair but but that equity and that that um that giving everybody what what they need to, to succeed that is fair A special thank you to Alexis for joining me for this important conversation. I hope that our listeners could hear how passionate Alexis and I are about teaching reading and working with our students, especially those with reading difficulties. I hope to continue our research and work with dyslexia, but I'd also like to venture into uh, dysgraphia and dyscalculia and other print disabilities that you may see in your classroom. Stay tuned for that on the Well-Informed Teacher Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've gained new insights and fresh ideas about collaborating for readiness in education. Brought to you by CORE at New Mexico State University at core-nmsu.org. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time on the Well-Informed Teacher Podcast.